taking the time out of your schedule so you can get some man cave huddle in your life where we mm. like to talk about lifestyle, entertainment, and sports. This is the only podcast where less is more. And I'm your host, Greg. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the 2018 NBA draft, and we're also going to talk about what transpired this week in the World Cup. Now, let's start off in the league where a whole bunch of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds basically in the blink of an eye became multimillionaires. The 2018 NBA draft, which took place in Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Now, I'm not going to go down each and every player because I'm sure, you know, like I've said before, you're not coming to the man cave huddle to get the independent analysis of each player. I'm telling you those certain little divots and nuggets about players that you should be looking for. Specifically, players like the number one player that went in the draft. It wasn't a shock. As expected, seven-foot center from Arizona via the Bahamas. Yes, Freshman center DeAndre Ayton is bohemian. He went first to the Phoenix Suns. Now, what I like about DeAndre is is that he is the new wave center in the league in that he can, at seven feet, not only shoot the three, but he can defend the perimeter. Very key. Now, he's also at seven foot. He's very uh, adept around the rim. He can block shots. He can rebound, and he's a good finisher and athletic around the rim. And he also has a nice jumper. So he's going to be one of those versatile players that has a lot of tools in his bucket that he could dip into whenever he needs to get the job done. Now, another interesting player, Marvin Bagley. He wound up going second overall, another freshman from the University of Duke. Uh, He's a power forward, small forward type, and he got drafted by the Sacramento Kings. Now, a lot of people are downing him because of his inability to play defense. He's not that much of a defensive presence, not that much of a defensive player at all. But I will say this. You need to look at the roster that guys go to and determine are they going and heading into the right situation because that information is accurate. Marvin Bagley is not the greatest defender in this draft, but he's going to a team where he's going to have two centers in Willie Cauley-Stein and Scott Labissier. Shout out to Haiti. You know what I'm saying? Those guys are going to be patrolling the middle and maintaining and guarding the rim where if Bagley is not the defender, those two guys will be able to sit there and clean up the mess. Now, draft, drafting Marvin Bagley to the Sacramento Kings just adds another weapon for superstar point guard De'Aaron Fox to have. I mean, this guy, now you're going to have Bagley, you're going to have Fox, you're going to have Buddy Heald. I'm not saying they're ready, but it's just a nice little nucleus to see how they grow and develop over the couple years to come. But I will say this, there's a cool note, and like I said, this is why you come to the Man Cave Huddle. A cool note about Bagley and is is that for high school, for one year, they were both teammates in high school out in Arizona. Pretty cool, huh? I mean, uh, Bagley, he wound up going to a couple different high schools because nowadays these top players, they don't really stay at one high school that long. They go to multiple high schools to get different types of exposure. But, um, you know, for those guys, they're two guys that have known each other for a while. It goes back to high school. Um, the third guy, uh, there's five guys I want to talk about, but the third guy is uh, actually the third pick in the draft. Uh, he is Luka Donich. Now, he was drafted third overall in the draft 
by Atlanta, but then he was traded to Dallas. Now, he's the first European player to go that, I don't want to say that high, but in this draft, he was the highest drafted European player. He's from Slovenia. He's a very skilled European player, and he played for Real Madrid. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you what his game is like because I have not seen him play. I've only seen highlights, and, you know, highlights are pretty much you're going to show me what is good. You're not going to show me what is bad. So what I've seen from him physically and what I've seen from the highlights is that his body type is that of a Gordon Hayward where he's 6'7", but he's not one of those thin-frame 6'7". He has some meat to him. You know, not like bulging muscle, but just, you know, mom is a good cook and he never went hungry at night, you know? And when I look at his game, his game is that of like uh, Amano Ginobili on the San Antonio Spurs, you know? He doesn't do the Euro step from what I've seen in the highlights as his signature move, but he's always looking at the floor. Like when Mano brings the ball up, he can always pop and get that three off whenever he wants. He can get to the rim whatever, wherever he wants. But then he's always keeping his eyes open, seeing who's moving, seeing who's open for the shot. And, you know, in this new positionless type of basketball, this guy Donich fits right into that mold. I mean, he's, he's a guard, but he's not a point guard. He's not a shooting guard. And he's tall enough to be a small forward. Very talented player in Dallas. You know, you put him along with uh, Dirk Nowitzki, you know, and you also have the other talent that they have on that team. That's a team where... They still need to add, but a good player to start with, with Luka Donich. Now, the fourth player that was drafted in the, uh, this past NFL, NFL NBA draft was a freshman, Jaron Jackson. He went to the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, this was a very interesting pick to me. The reason why I say interesting is because the Memphis Grizzlies made a common knowledge that they just wanted to sell this pick. They did not want to hold on to it. They wanted to trade it. But... You had to take on Chandler Parsons, and that was part of the deal. The problem with that, Chandler Parsons is due a lot of money over the next two years, and he doesn't play in a lot of games. The guy is injury-prone, and he doesn't play. So pretty much they are willing to give you one really good player, but you got to take back one not really good player. So in saying that, they weren't able to strike a deal, and the Grizzlies wound up drafting Jaron Jackson. Now, he's a 6'11 power forward center, another freshman from Michigan State. Uh, I, I, I like Jaron Jackson. He has skills. He can board. He can shoot the three. But it's like he's very raw in a lot of areas, you know. He needs to work on his post-up game. Not that they do that, but at 6'11, you need to have some type of back-to-your-basket game. You know, he could work on his ball handling, his dribbling, passing. I don't want to say he can't play, but it's just all the, the, the skills that you need to be a top five player. He has it. He just needs to refine it more, you know. So this isn't a bad pick. This is just a pick where in a couple of years, it might wind up being a really good pick if he develops that way. Going number five in this past draft, a very intriguing player right here. Very, very intriguing. Trey Young, another freshman out of Oklahoma. He's a point guard. Now, he's traded to Atlanta. Why do I say this guy is intriguing? Because when, and I've seen him play, this guy is like a Steph Curry clone. And what I say that is, 
He has logo range. When I say logo range, you know the logo in the center of the NBA court? Soon as he crosses half court, that's where he can shoot threes from. I mean, once he hits that logo on the other half of the court, he's he's stopping and popping and making threes, and he shoots them just like Curry. He'll be dribbling, doing the move, jump, and booyaka right in your mouth. Uh, take that, right? So I mean, he has the the dribbling, the get to the rim ability, like like Steph Curry, not that tall, slighter frame. The thing that I worry about this guy is, is I think his career is gonna start off like Steph Curry because he's not that big of a guy. He's gonna need to hit the gym. And defensively, he's very weak. Going to Atlanta, they really don't have any guys there to protect him defensively. So this might be a pick where in a couple of years, Young bulks up a little bit. Maybe you get some more players. And what he can't do, you get players that can fill in those holes. And the threes that he's shooting now are going to be a little bit more powerful because now teams know they have more weapons that they have down the road. And another thing, this guy has a high IQ. I mean, I saw him play at Oklahoma. And this guy was the type of player where he would come up, shoot the three, come down, and he everybody would just be in certain spots, and he knew how to break down the defense and get players wide open shots. But what happened is once the team started figuring out, we're going to let this guy go off and make the team beat him, Beat us, people began to realize that as good as Trey Young is as an individual player, he didn't play on a team that had a lot of talent. Very interesting player in Trey Young. Um, another guy that I, I felt bad for, and you always feel bad when this happens, and I felt bad for Kevin Knox. Now, Kevin Knox went ninth to the New York Knicks and another freshman. I, I mean, it's amazing how it's almost like Freshmen are what are drafted top 10, top 15, but I'm not going to digress. Kevin Knox, drafted ninth overall by the New York Knicks. He's a forward, 6'9". Now, a lot of people were booing. They say they wanted Michael Porter Jr. Now, you have uh, a GM that hasn't been on a job that long, and you have David Fisdale, a rookie head coach. Okay. I like Michael Porter Jr., but this is the issue with Michael Porter Jr. Coming out of high school, he was the number one overall rated player. He was it was it, it was a no-brainer that he was gonna be one and done. He was gonna be the number one pick over DeAndre Ayton in this upcoming draft. That's how much talent that this guy has. An isolation player, great shooter. Great ball handling skills, big physical kid, plays small forward. But the problem with him is, is that in his freshman year, he injured his back. And he had a very serious back injury to where he had to get an operation that limited him to only three games in his college career. He had successful, now don't laugh at me, I'm not a doctor. So if I'm mispronouncing this word for all those doctors or scientists or people that know how to say it, don't scream at the, at, at the radio. Don't scream in your iPhone like, what are you saying? He had microdisectomy of his L3 and L4 spinal discs. 
I don't know in the technical term what that means, but that just sounds like it's a serious surgery because they could have just said back, but you know, micro, when it's a big word like that, you ever realize that like when you're really sick, it's always a big word. It's never like you got like, you know, uh, a cold. I mean, the flu is bad, but then it's like when you're really sick, it's always some big word like what? Anyway, so that's what this uh, Michael Porter kid, the surgery that he had, and it limited him to three games. And the only reason why he played three games is because when he came back from the surgery, teams wanted to see, look, if you want to go to the NBA draft, you got to at least show us that you can play. Now, he played three games, and he shut it down. Now, a lot of teams passed on him. He wound up going 14th. 14th. He was supposed to be the number one pick, and he dropped to 14 going to the Denver Nuggets. Now, is this a valuable pick by the Denver Nuggets? You never know. I mean, you look at players like Joel Embiid, and three years down the road, look at what happened with the Philadelphia 76ers this year. Made an all-star game, made it to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, you know, Joel Embiid, it, it looks like he's one of the core players on that team. But my thing is this, and I go back to the Nick fan. Nick fans, you guys have a rookie head coach. The coach that was there that drafted Joel Embiid is not the coach that was coaching this year. So do you think David Fisdale wanted to draft a player that in three years, if the next three seasons are not good for him, wait on a player that might be productive but not be productive for you? Or draft a player in Kevin Knox, who's a 6'9", small forward, Okay, who is the new or I should say now generation NBA player. He could shoot the three. He could dribble the ball up the court. He could defend the perimeter. He could defend multiple positions and he can get active on multiple areas on the floor. And he's athletic. He's the type of player where you might not say, oh, this kid's going to be a star. He's going to be great. He has stardom written all over. But you know what it is? He's that, wow, he's a building block, a solid player, a glue guy. Somebody where it's like, you know what? You don't think about his game, but when he's not there, you miss his game. So Kevin Knox, I hope he does well because these people were really bowing, talking about they wanted Michael Porter Jr. I mean, um, we'll see what happens with, with Michael Porter Jr. I hope he has a great career. I hope it winds up like Joel Embiid. It's just a shame what's happened to him. So um, that's, you know, the players that I found to be pretty interesting. Oh, one more player I wanted to talk about. And the only reason why I want to talk about this guy, Mohamed Bamba. He went number six, drafted to the Orlando Magic. You guessed it. He's a freshman from Texas. Holla at your boy. He's from Harlem, New York. That's the only reason why I wanted to say that I found him to be interesting. <laughs> I mean, he's talented. Don't, I'm, I'm not going to lie. He's talented. He's a seven-footer. He can shoot the three. He's just not as good as DeAndre Ayton, but he's from Harlem, USA, so I had to give him a little shout-out. So let's switch gears now, and let's talk about the World Cup. We're entering now into almost the finishing stages of group play. We are finished. Most teams now have played two games. We're going to start uh, the third week in which the third game will be played in every group. Each team plays each other once, four teams per group, meaning that you're going to play three games. So usually after two games, you have a good idea of what's going on. Kind of like, you know, 
during the NFL or NBA season, halfway through the season, or maybe a little bit over halfway through the season, you get a good idea of what teams are good, what teams are bad, what teams could really uh, make some moves or surprise teams, what teams that you thought were going to make moves were really disappointing, and teams where you were like, if it goes the right way, this team could really, you got to look out for. So um, in terms of the World Cup and how that correlates, I wanted to talk about what I thought were some surprise teams, a disappointment team, and a team to look out for. Now, uh, one of my surprise teams, and I'm not saying they're a surprise team because of a lack of talent and they weren't expected to do anything in this World Cup, but one of my surprise teams is Mexico. The reason why I say Mexico is because they defeated handily the World Cup defending champions Germany 1-0, and everybody was like, wow, okay, but can they do it again? They did it again. They came back and they defeated South Korea 2-1. And they sit atop their group with six points. Now, I'm not saying, like I said, Mexico was a terrible team. But, wow, that's 2-0. That's pretty good for Mexico. Another team was Russia. Russia's defeated Egypt 3-1. And they also sit atop Group A with Uruguay. Now... Uruguay, I'm sorry. Russia was the type of team where they got in because they're the host country. Nobody really knew how good Russia was or could be. They're just another team lumped in with all these European teams. Like, what are they? Who are they? Can they perform? They're in the World Cup because they're the host country. But what are they? Can they actually do anything on the big stage? And they've actually performed pretty good. I mean, Egypt has a very good player. Arguably, people are saying top five in the world. But, I mean, you look at Russia, they, they, they're really getting busy, man. They're really getting busy. I'm not saying they're going to go far into the knockout stage, but the fact that they make it to the knockout stage, that's opening eyes in itself. Disappointment team. Man. I made sure I put the mic closer to my mouth so you could feel me sigh right there. Because this is... I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. But, I mean, Argentina. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys arguably have the best player in the world. At the time, people thought the best player in the world was Messi. I mean, Argentina lost to Croatia 3-0. Okay, 3-0. I'm sorry for all the, the, the hardcore soccer fans. You can't say 3-0, it's 3-0. They lost to Croatia 3-0, but although the scoreboard doesn't reflect it, watching that match made, I had a feeling of one team overpowering the other team to the point like it was the Germany-Brazil match in the last World Cup in which Germany annihilated Brazil 7-1. And it felt like, you know what? Keep scoring, Germany. Make Brazil remember this. It just felt like Croatia just overmatched, overpowered. I mean, Argentina, they were they had poor defensive tactics, no organization, no structure, no plan on what they wanted to do. It's as if they get the ball, get the ball in the box right in front of the goalie, pass it to Messi, look at him, and expect magic to just come from his toes when he touched the football. And that doesn't happen. 
And then they get flustered and it's like, what's going on? There's no other, there's no B, C, D, E, or F plan. And Messi, I mean, coming into this World Cup, it was easy to say he's better than Cristiano Ronaldo. He's the best player in the world. He's playing on Barcelona, the best player in the world. But he's been a no-show. No goals. I'm not seeing leadership. I mean, you're seeing him, and they showed the national anthem. And I mean, when I like to look at players during the national anthem to look into their eyes. Some players look scared or nervous, which is to be expected because, you know, you're about to enter this, the sporting field. You're about to play a match. And, you know, you got the butterflies. But I didn't see that in him. I just saw, like, stress, pressure, the weight of uh, an entire country on his shoulders. Man, I, I, I mean, it, it was just, I mean, it was just a poor show. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo, a.k.a. CR7, by far now has taken the title as best player in the world. I mean, the, the, the forward for Portugal... I mean, the guy shows up. He doesn't have a lot of talent around him, but he has a team. They play like a team, and he shows up, and all he does is score goals. And that's what you need to win the world, to win a match, if not the World Cup. I mean, for Argentina, they're saying it's at the point now where the manager slash coach of the team has no power to the point where Messi is going to decide who plays is the starting 11 in the next game. Like I said in the last podcast, that not only is a LeBronish, but who does that? To where the player is going to decide who plays? Unbelievable, man. And the team to look out for, I'm not going to sit here and talk about all the, 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 the flossy teams. I'm going to talk about a team like Belgium. Belgium has a whole bunch of okay players, you know? Like, they got a bunch of players that play internationally, but they're not like the star player. They might be the second or third or if not fourth best player, but it's like you put a whole bunch of guys like that together, and it's a whole bunch of guys that know how to win, know how to play, and have some skills. I mean, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this guy's name, but look at the forward on Belgium. He's the Romelo Lukaku. Lukaku. Romelu Lukaku. The forward of Belgium, man. Let's just put it like that. Forward of Belgium. All right? They've scored eight goals as a team. He has four of them. He has four goals in two matches. Well, Greg, who have they played? Yeah, I know. They played Panama, Tunisia. Okay. But still, they they undefeated. He had, they, they as a team, Belgium has scored eight goals and one player has scored half of them. That's a lot. I mean, their next game is against England, who are also 2-0. And Belgium and England, obviously, are in the same group. And England right now, they're coming off a high horse beating Panama 6-1. So, I mean, you know, we'll see if Belgium is really that team to look out for. But Belgium is a team where I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised once we hit the knockout stage. And we get closer and closer. You start hearing about Belgium more and more. And maybe if I hear how Romelu Lukaku's name is pronounced, maybe I'll be able to say it better. 
But uh, this upcoming week is going to be very interesting because usually the last week, uh, there's a lot of nail-biting games that take place because some teams don't need to win. So they're, they're just chilling, thinking about the knockout stage. Other teams, it's not even about them winning. They got to win by a certain amount of goals for goal differential to qualify. Other teams, you know, you you have to win, and you got to win by a certain amount of goals, and another team has to win. So there's so many scenarios, but this week should be very interesting. Hopefully, it's a lot of good, passionate football, uh, soccer that's played on the pitch. So um, I want to take thank you guys once again for your time and listening to this podcast. And as I always do, I want to end in a positive quote. So for this episode, positive quote. Life is too short to start your day with broken pieces of yesterday. It will definitely destroy your wonderful today and ruin your great tomorrow. Once again, life is too short to start your day with broken pieces of yesterday. It will definitely destroy your wonderful today and ruin your great tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye, everybody.